Blog Talk Radio. BFD. Hey, dude, how's it going? Hey, uh, thanks for having me on tonight, Matt. I'll t- turn on my radio voice. I don't do it very often, but here we go. I'm looking forward to a great show tonight. We're going to have lots of special guest stars, and uh, actually, no, we're not. Never mind. Go ahead. You take over. <laughs> uh, I-, I have to be better. So, did you know that it snows up in Canada? <laughs> it has to snow somewhere because it doesn't snow here. That makes no sense. Yeah, so I, I'm sorry about last week, everyone who uh, checked their iTunes or however you get the show and saw there was no episode. You know, sometimes when you want a backpack, you get permits, and then you get permits six months down the road, and they give you permits during week one, and then you go anyways, and then the place you're going to go catches on fire, and then you have a flight that's non-refundable, and so you go up to Canada instead, and uh, you try to cross the mountain pass in the snow, and you can't find the trail, so you have to hike back down. And uh, it was a good backcountry trip. I had a lot of fun. But it's really cold up there, and it snowed a lot. And now it's like 97 back here. And I went for a run and sweat and take a cold shower. Now I'm exhausted. But um, if you haven't, go up to Canada. Go to Banff. It's very beautiful up there. Everybody's very nice. And it's like a, a cultural center of the world because really nobody there is even Canadian. It's like everybody from all over the world goes to that spot. So um, it was cool, though. It was a good time. Excellent. I'm so glad to hear it, Big Matt. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's one place I really, really want to go. Is I, I want to go to that part of Canada, the Banff area. I have a friend who's from there, and he has taunted me about it from here. He Now he lives in Austin. He barely goes back, like once a year. He talks about how completely and utterly gorgeous it is, and I really want to make it up there. Yeah, it's really cool because, like, all the lakes are all this glacial still. It's like the water is color that – like, I haven't seen since I, like, took a bath when I was, like, six years old. It's just, like, super, like, clear and turquoise and stuff. And uh, it's all pretty wild. And, like, the mountains aren't super tall either cause, but because it's so far north, they're also covered in snow. Uh, but what wasn't wonderful, though, was watching and checking the score on the airplane and seeing the Texans lose to Tennessee Titans, lose to Mike Rabel, lose to Gabbert, lose to an offensive of their two starting offensive tackles. And landing and watching the condensed version, and uh, just it just you know hysterical. So right now the Texans are 0 and 2. They lost New England. They lost to Tennessee, like I said. And you know I'm bummed. You know I'm disappointed. I thought this team would be playing better, and now they're entering a must-win game this Sunday against the New York Giants. So according to you in your brain, BFD, uh, what's been the biggest disappointment so far for this Texans 2018 season? For me, it's easy, and that's the offensive scheme. I mean, we have seemed to regress back to Bill. You know, that's let me you know preface this by saying at the beginning of the season, I actually was optimistic, right? That Bill O'Brien had learned something in 2017 when he had Deshaun Watson, this new toy, he gave him the opportunity to run almost like a college style offense. 
but do things like get the ball out of his hands quickly, faking the jet sweeps, creating a lot of space, a lot of open space for Deshaun Watson to work with. That has utterly and completely disappeared. All of our worst nightmares have come true. Bill O'Brien thinks that Deshaun Watson is Tom Savage. And it's just absolutely disgusting to see how Deshaun Watson is literally being wasted right now because Bill O'Brien is dead set on making sure that Deshaun Watson is going to follow his trash offensive scheme that did nothing for three and a half years except for a couple of games with Deshaun Watson at quarterback last year. So mm-hmm. it's, it's beyond disappointing to me, Matt, that, that Bill O'Brien took something that was working so efficiently and effectively and well and turned it back into trash. And I just I, – I can't tell you how much that drives me up the wall, Matt. Yeah. And I, I've known the same thing as well, too. But I think one of the biggest problems with this offense so far this year is that they aren't using Deshaun Watson as a runner, but they're trying to do the same things to take advantage of him as a runner. So, like, in shotgun formations, for example, they're running, you know, quarterback reads, but they're handing the ball every time. They're running, a, run, running you know, the zone read with a jet sweep to run the option like they ran last year, but Watson's not keeping the ball at all. They're, you know, faking the jet sweep, but they don't have a player who can actually run it, and then try to run play action off of it, which allows the pressure to get there, you know, gives it an extra second and a half or so. And there's no biting at all in that jet sweep because it's, they're not actually running the play with any success or running it at all, really. And now it's in the pass for stairs immediately. And so they're not, they're not playing straight ahead and they're disguising the fact that they're playing straight ahead with all these fakes and stuff that don't matter, provide any value at all to the offense. And so I think one of the things though, Brian has to do to make this offense better and improve it is if they're going to be doing the things that they did last year, if they're going to be acting like the things they're doing right now, they're going to have to use a Sean Watson as a runner. I know that he suffered that ACL injury and you want to make sure he doesn't get hit too many times, and you want to limit how often he runs because you want him to get injured again. But that's one of the things that makes him so special as a player is his running ability, and this opened up the offense last year. And if you're not going to use him as a runner and run the same plays as last year, your offense is going to be stagnant because Deshaun Watson is supposed to grow as a pure passer out of the pocket as far as reading defenses and the offensive line is not as good as it should be to run the same type of offense the same way. So, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I agree with the two completely. And I just think, like, for this offense to get better, for things to be like how they were last year at all whatsoever, Watson's going to have to run the football, and they're going to have to use him as a runner. I know there's injury concerns regarding that, but, you know, you're 0-2. You're going to have to score points, and that's the one thing they haven't done that they can do to kind of unlock things to get things looking how they looked last year. Right. And then, you know, the other thing is, is, is if you go back, and, and we'll probably talk about this more, the one thing that I really keep beating the dead horse about, my daughter really hates when I say that, beating a dead horse because <laughs> she loves horses and rides them, uh, it, is that if you know your quarterback is taking too long to process the game, right, he's holding the ball too long, whether it's processing, whether he's just he's looking for the wide open guys or whatever it is he's doing, why aren't you scheming to get the quarterback to get the ball out of his hands quicker? And you brought up – let's bring up two plays. DeAndre Hopkins' slants, you brought that up, that it burned New England a couple of times and the Titans were sitting on it. You know what? There's more than one pass pattern than a slant. And that pass pattern is not a damn screen pass. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and it's just like, is that really what we're going to do to get the ball out of its hands faster? Is we're going we're gonna to only do slants and screens? So it's it's really infuriating that – 
that is the uh, elite imagination, offensive imagination of Bill O'Brien coming into play here. Is that that's all we can do? That's what we're going to do to help, you know, Deshaun Watson get the ball out of his hands and throw a slant to DeAndre Hopkins and screen to anybody who's living? Matt, I don't get that either. Yeah, and, and the screen passes, uh, you know, going and talking about the time game specifically that you mentioned, you know, Houston got the ball around the 40-yard line against Tennessee, and they had first down, second down. They ran two screen passes. I think they lost on both plays and had an incompletion on third down and then punted instead. And I don't even know how they can try to get the ball out quicker, but that was Bill O'Brien, 2015-2016. You know, ever since he's been the head coach, conservative football, where he had the ball, it played, the game was tied, and he was playing for a field goal there. He didn't want anything to go wrong. He was just going to play for that spot and try to hold on and try to, you know, make Blaine Gabbard do something. And work, and they punted, and that was one of the reasons why they lost. Um, you know, going back to you know, Watson, talking about you are talking about, you know, getting the ball quickly out of his hands, I think that's kind of one of the problems with this offense as well, too, is they waste a lot of routes. You know, you kind of watch the coach's film, and it's like Watson only has one read, maybe two reads, and there's like two or three guys running routes, but they're listless. Like, there's no, like, effort at all to them, and Watson's only reading, you know, one side of the field. And, and, you know, with Fuller being back last week, it really helped out a lot because they had somebody who can actually get open against quick, you know, get open quickly against pressure. But everybody else on the roster, aside from him and Hopkins, you know, the Titans can't. Ellington's fine, but he's not that great at it. But they're missing, you know, receivers who can get open quickly and win, you know, one-one battles immediately off the line of scrimmage. And O'Brien, as a play caller, he's not getting guys open. He's not creating open throws. He's not creating easy throws for Watson. And you have to do that when you're kind of limited at talent spots with, you know, Ellington the slot with the Titans that they have available and not really having a fourth receiver on this team whatsoever. And that's entirely on him as well, too. And so I, I think, you know, regardless of passing on them specifically, I think they have to use Watson as a runner more. They need to have every route be utilized and also, you know, scheme to get guys open as well, too. And this offense shouldn't be 26 in point score. It's too talented. Watson was too good last year. I know we talked about touchdown rates before, but, like, they shouldn't regress this far, you know, back to where they are right now. And O'Brien, there's, like, you know, three easy things they can do to make this offense better immediately. And so far he really hasn't done anything at all as a play caller to, to help this offense out. Now, and it just so much re- resembles, and you nailed it, it resembles 2014, 2015 Bill O'Brien's offense. And you don't have – that offense didn't work. Why is it going to work now? The only person who's ran that kind of offense and was successful is Tom Brady. That's because he's freaking Tom Brady. So it's, it goes back to when we hired Bill O'Brien, he was supposed to be Bill O'Brien offensive super genius. And instead what we see from the Houston Texans offense is we see the old school offense again, dry humping the table leg and not even able to finish because it just gets too tired and it punts the ball at the 35 damn yard line. You know, if if you're going to have a big guy, big leg guy like Kimi Fairbairn has your field goal kicker, and yes, I realize he missed short earlier in the day, but he does have the leg to make that. Look, you either your choices are really either going to kick the ball, miss. You're either going to kick the field goal, miss it. You give it to him at the 42-ish, or you kick the punt, hope that you peg him back deep, but you're still talking about you know, 30 yards, let's say. You know, for going Blaine Gabbert, sure, that's a lot of yards, but wouldn't you rather go for the three rather than just say, hey, here's 30 yards of field position? So I just, that conservative bent, especially on that, that back end of that series, and as we were watching the game, and Matt, you know, Matt and I making the comments about it, uh, little Matt, 
that was the moment Texans lost that game. Mm-hmm. And also, like, a 54-yard field goal is a really hard field goal to make, too. And, you know, missing that field goal by, like, two yards or so isn't anything to, like, lose confidence in, you know, uh, Fairbairn's ability to make, make field goals as well, too. And so I think that part's kind of frustrating. And, um, you know, that – I mean, the other the, – I guess the last thing I want to say about the passing offense and O'Brien's play calling, you know, regarding that and Watson, too, is I'm also frustrated that they're not throwing to Hopkins as much as they are. And they're also trying to scheme to get Hopkins open. Hopkins is like the one, one like the one of the few receivers in football where like you really don't have to do a lot to get him open. You leave him on the sideline by himself in isolation. Let him run his curls. Let him run his fades. Let him run his posts. You know he can get open on by himself. And they were really afraid of stepping Gilmore against New England for whatever reason. Uh, they didn't really take any shots downfield except for that one Watson threw in double covers that was intercepted in the end zone. But they're not letting him go out and play and just be better than other cornerbacks uh, that they had before in the past. And then you watch that Jacksonville game last week and like they're attacking Stephen Gilmore with, you know, Keelan Cole and D.D. Westbrook. And it's like Burles at quarterback. And the week before you have Bill O'Brien and, you know, being afraid to do the same thing with Hopkins. He's a top three wide receiver in Gilmore as well too. And so I think like just letting your guys go out and just be better uh, than the opponent is something that O'Brien hasn't done a very good job at as well too, this play calling this year. Yeah, and what is DeAndre Hopkins is not good. You, you mentioned Will Fuller. Will Fuller is a guy who gets open. He creates the space, gets open. DeAndre Hopkins catches contested balls. That's what he does. Yes, he's good at getting open, but he's going to make the catches. He's going to beat the DB to the ball. You have to understand that as Deshaun Watson, as Bill O'Brien. Yeah, and Watson's also really good at ball placement. Like He can put the ball yeah. where only his guy can get it to, and they're not letting him do that as well either. Uh, on Twitter, we had a question from – uh, Lado, and he says, what's wrong with Watson? So, BFD, are you seeing anything specifically that's wrong with Deshaun Watson, his play, or are you chalking this mostly up to you know, Bill O'Brien's you know, failures as the offensive coordinator and head coach? I think it's a little bit of each. I mean, you have to Watson has to take some of the blame for the fact that he is taking so long to get rid of the ball. That said, almost every – you know, a successful passing play that's gotten the ball downfield has been, it seems like it's been a broken play. You look at the touchdown to Hopkins on Sunday was a completely broken play. Watson holding on to the ball too long. Ben Rethlisberger-esque, you know, kind of running around, avoiding the sack and getting the ball downfield. I think he, he had the ball for it, seven seconds on that play. So it's, he can do that sort of thing, but you don't necessarily want him to. As a young quarterback, you want him to, well, be upright which we'll talk about, but you also want him to push the ball downfield a lot more. And that's one thing he hasn't been doing either. He has not been pushing the ball with the same ferocity that he did in 2017, Mm -hmm. where he was dead set on getting the ball downfield this year. It seems more like there seems to be the hesitation there to do that, Matt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, and also you two of his interceptions were pushing the ball downfield and he's taking shots, which you want him to do. But the the only thing I don't like though is, both those shots came in, you know, like double and triple coverage, double and he had cover, yeah. coverage on on the other side the, on the other sideline. You know, you had Gilmore's pick in week one, you had Dory Jackson's pick, and I know Jackson's pick. You had Fuller and one one coverage on the sideline, and so like, if you're gonna take a shot deep, throw coverage. You know, don't throw in double coverage. And I think also the lack of deep passing so far from Watson also has to do with the lack of you know the play action meaning anything. He takes last year a lot of his passes downfield were created off play action 
uh, by the you know the fakes of fake faking the zone read, faking the jet sweep and those sort of things. But now they don't mean anything; they're just empty gestures, and so they're not able to get those one-on-one matchups downfield as well too. And also, like I think O'Brien can do a better job as well to like scheme to get Fuller running through two safeties, and then if they run with Fuller, then you have one-on-one coverage to Hopkins, and it's pretty easy to create matchups for those two guys specifically as well too. Um, I think I think my biggest thing with Watson is what you're saying he's holding the ball on too long, and also I don't like how he's reacting to pressure too. I think he's pulling his eyes down the ball down too early as well, and even when the pass blocking isn't like you know it's not going to be perfect every play, but even when it's good enough, he's pulling the ball down, he's looking to get outside the pocket, he's worried you know, and that sort of thing too, and uh, and so I think even that's kind of more troubling thing I've seen with this play specifically though is that. He looks really antsy. He doesn't look as calm as he did last year with pressure as well, too. He's not putting the ball behind his back and chunking it, you know, 50 yards downfield for a touchdown. And uh, and so he doesn't – he's not the Watson we saw last year. I wasn't expecting that to happen because I thought last year was super unsustainable. But I didn't think Houston be ranked, you know, 26 in points scored up to this point in the season as well either. Yeah, give me a Mills play. You know, give me give me something aggressive that's going to stretch the ball – downfield and he's doing it some the the look at the dime he dropped to Will Fuller. I just think that needs to be more of a part of the offense. And also you can get rid of the ball pretty quickly on something like that. So you know we're gonna talk about the offensive line because we have to. Mm-hmm. But um, um it's we can be more aggressive down the field and better smarter aggressive down the field than we have been so far this year. Yeah. And they I mean and they have the players do it too, like with Watson and I mean, with Hopkins and Fuller, like, there's really no excuses to not be buried on the field so far this year as well. Um, also on Twitter, we had another question from uh, this guy named Meigs. He said, uh, you know, what's wrong with O'Brien? We already talked about that. But also BFD, uh, is there anything he does right at all? So is there anything that you've seen O'Brien do right so far this year? Or is, you know, like, you're a little bit confident in this year just solely based off that five-game sample size last year? This is a great question. I love this question. Thank you. Um, to uh, I don't see if I asked that one. Is that Lado too? Okay. Um, no, this is oh, me. No, that's me. This, okay. This is me. Okay. Thank you, Meg. I appreciate this question a lot because I, I want to look at it this way. The Houston Texans right now have lost their last eight straight games. I want to just put that in context. Not even the Browns have lost their last eight straight games. Not even the Jets. The Houston Texans lost the last six of the 2017 regular season and the first two this year, lost their last eight straight games. So what is Bill O'Brien doing right? Well, if he's the one who cut Shane Leckler, great. If he's the one who got rid of Jay Prosh, great. Otherwise, I don't know how you look at Bill O'Brien's body of work and say, what is he doing well? Because, okay, I understand getting beat by the Patriots, but to me, being beaten by the BESF when they're down their top two tackles, when Blaine Gabbert, real American, is the quarterback. <laughs> and wide receiver. That is un- yeah, <laughs> right? That is unforgivable. That is an unforgivable coaching self-inflicted error. So do I think Bill O'Brien's done anything right this year? Not really, because the offense is on him, and we've talked about the offense. The run scheme looks better to some degree. I, will give, I guess I can give him that. It, you know, we are using – more uh, outside zone play, so I will give him that, and, and it's being reflected by the yardage we're gaining. So uh, I will give him that. So there you go. There's your, there's your, whatever, 
<laughs> There's your Snickers bar of goodness for Bill O'Brien, Matt. Please take it. <laughs> I, I, the only thing I can really say is that the players like playing for him and like things to manage competently enough, you know? Like, I mean, they won games in the past, and that means something. I, I know they won games, like all these close games, and the team got the bare minimum of the talent they had and all sorts of things, and it's frustrating. But I guess, like, it means something that, like, J.J. Watt likes playing for them, that, you know, J. David and Clowney likes playing for them, that, you know, they've been able to, like, keep things together competently enough, even with all the you know, inmate stuff going back last year. So, I mean, that's probably the best thing about him. But I think overall, like, this year when it comes to, like, being a – like, Ogeron, like, LSU, like, that's what he's great at. Like, O'Brien's been good enough at that. But when it comes to actually, like, scheming and getting the most out of his players, he's been, you know, uh, bad at that. Um, and I even think, like, you know, this year, like, I was obviously for him based off last year's sample as well, too, and thought he deserved, you know, another shot for this year at minimum. I wouldn't have extended him all. I would just wait and see what happened this year. But I think my, like, least favorite thing about Brian is how, like, arrogant and he is during this entire run and, like, how much smarter he comes off as everybody else and how much, like, uh, you know, super genius he comes off of. Whenever, like, all he's done is got in, wasted J.J. Watt's prime, got on the bare minimum of this roster, uh, held this team back in a lot of different ways, made terrible quarterback decisions, was part of the reason why the quarterback position was passed on down the road for so long. And he's won nine games based off of a team that, like, he really didn't even entirely built at all. And uh, he's just been such a just a douche about it the entire time to say as nicely as possible. And I think that's, like, you know, aesthetically and, like, in, enjoying the game of football and enjoying you know, the team I like. That was, like, my, my least favorite thing about Brian, even in addition to all the scheme stuff as well, too. Yeah, and, and the whole thing about, he, you know, the, the players love to play for him type stuff, you know. I, I always like to go back to the story. I've said it here on, on the show before. But Reno Giacomini thinks Tom Cabell is, like, the best offensive line coach in the business. So that's yeah. all I need to know about when a player says they love a, a coach is that the worst offensive lineman in the league said the worst offensive line coach in the league is the best. And that's all I need to know about that sort of crap. Yeah, yeah. No, I can see that. And also, like, it's really not that hard, I think, to coach J.J. Watt and Clowney. You know what I mean? And those guys are going to be great pretty much no matter who the coach is as well, too. Um, so, we'll, you know, let's talk about the offensive line now. Uh, we'll have a, a couple more viewer questions we can get to a little bit later on. Uh, like, I'm super kind of bummed right now, you know, watching this offensive line. Like, I, I really liked watching Julian Davenport left tackle last year. I thought he could be, like, a, you know, competent starter at that position, especially if he got stronger. It looked like he did. He looked great this preseason. I Martin Rankin is my favorite offensive tackle I watched last year during the draft, and I was super stoked when they drafted him. Uh, I thought Calamante would be, you know, good enough at guard. I know he has problems with his hands and problems, you know, getting second level can get be in pass pro sometimes, but he was, you know, pretty good in Orleans. Uh, Fulton, I thought had Pro Bowl caliber talent, and I thought Martin you know, looked off worse than he was because he was playing next to Suofio and playing next to Jeff Allen, that being much between Calamante and Full to a July for his career. And so far this year, like, they've been, it's been a bad offensive line. I think running the ball, they've been pretty good when they reach straight forward, so they're not, like, faking a fake that they're never going to hand off on, and they're running straight ahead when they're running, you know, pulling with uh, Miller behind Fulton or running outside zone. They've looked good then. But it's like you'll see three good play side blocks, and the backside won't do that well. It's kind of limiting the amount of big games they can get. 
But they've been competent enough, you know, in the run game. But the pass blocking, I think, has just been, you know, uh, atrocious in, based off the expectations I had going into this year. So what do you think about this offensive line? What's wrong with them? Well, I think the biggest thing that's wrong with them is that Davenport is new to that position. Rankin's a rookie. Kilomete is young, and he was with the Saints last year, and Fulton was with the Chiefs. So you got one guy out of the offensive line who was with the Houston Texans last year. And this is something, you know, whoever has been listening to this podcast since we started in whatever, 2008 or nine or whatever it is, that one of the consistent things we talked about back then was the offensive line was always so good because it was so cohesive because they'd been together for so long. So you mm-hmm. had, you know, I'm going a little bit better, a little bit later, but you know, for a while there you had guys like you had Dwayne Brown and you had Mike Brazell and you had uh, uh, Wade Smith, pro bowl guard, and you had Chris Myers and you had Eric Winston and you had a lot of consistency along that offensive line. So these guys worked well together and had worked together for a long time. Uh, I would like to say that's all it is, but we're seeing, you know, Davenport and Rankin getting blown up one-on-one, so that, you know, kind of throws a little bit of that out of the water. But what we're not seeing is we're not, you know, they're not cohesive. So I think if you look at this team and say these guys have played together in two NFL games, I think this is going to be at the end of the year a far better line than they were in 2017, Mm -hmm. but it's going to take them a year to get there, Matt. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with that. I think we better as the year goes on. I think really where that's going to promote is probably in the run game, especially run the outside zone. Like, it's hard to do. And then especially on the backside, like, the double teams are sloppy. They're not, like, understanding who's helping where uh, and getting to the spots that they need to get with their head placement and how long they need to stay on the first level before it gets to the second level. And there's too much penetration because of that. My, uh, my, and also, like, I'm also super confused about the tackle spot thing. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I've heard they told, you know, Rankin was is left-handed and he feels more comfortable at left, and they gave Davin, Davenport spots at right all year long. I think kind of a fail-safe is Sanchal Henderson was terrible. That that was kind of like their backup was that they moved Davenport to right and put Rankin at left. But, like, I mean, Davenport just doesn't look like – he doesn't look smooth at all at right. Like, he looks super clunky in his pass set. He's stopping, you know, his feet during it. He's missing his punch. And then Rankin hasn't been good at all, left at all either. So I think that even if Rankin feels more comfortable at left, I think the mar- marginal benefit you get from Rankin playing left isn't worth what you're losing from playing uh, Davenport at right as well too. And I think overall, like, it's not even a cohesion thing. It's just like a, a skill thing where they're getting beat by simple edge rushes. And they're not, like, getting beat by, like, spectacular players either. Like, New England beat both of them up pretty good. I know that, you know, Harold Landry and Rackler are better than what New England has on at, at, at the edge rush position, but they're not even getting beat by moves at all. They're just getting run on the outside and dipped under, and uh, they're getting Watson like that, you know, not doing a lot at all whatsoever. And it's super frustrating to, to watch, and I think that would be better off with Davenport going to the left and Rankin playing right, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to keep them where they're at. But, um, you know, being so excited to watch these two guys play, it's just been kind of like just stomach churning, kind of awful you know, for me as somebody who really loves offensive line play. And I uh, was super excited to watch these two guys play at the tackle positions this year too. Yeah, I think, you know, I, the offensive line play has always kind of been – I've always liked line play in general more than the other positions. And, and that has been a kind of a downer that I expected a lot more. But also, I also, like said early on, 
the talent is so much better than it was last year. Look, yeah, yeah. getting Giacomini off the field is just, I mean, how much of a gain is that? And Davenport and Rankin are going to have very solid, if not above average, careers. But this is Davenport's, what, third, fourth start? In, and Rankin's a rookie? So these guys are young. They're going to have to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I do think it's gonna it's much better than last year. I mean, already it is. They didn't give up 10 sacks in a game. Kendall Lamb's on the field. There are six offensive tackles, Greg Manks, which is really good. Um, I just thought it would be better. I thought it would be better kind of immediately, too. The other thing that's been kind of weird is that they've been struggling at picking up stunts on the inside, too. Uh, Calamente's not blocking the right guy here and there. And also, like, his hands haven't been very good in pass pro. He's been getting beat uh, pretty often. And also, like, Fulton doesn't look as good as he looked in Kansas City last year as well either. And that's been, you know, frustrating, too, because he was, he was really good for him. And this kind of takes me to, I guess, a bigger discussion because I was thinking about it yesterday, you know, in the shower with this offensive line specifically. And Chris O'Brien's been the head coach. They haven't really added or made anybody better at offensive line. Bram Brooks got better whenever he left. Um, you know, Dwayne Brown was already kind of settled, but they, they could never even turn Xavier to a field as a talented college player into you know, anything, any good at all. And it was because of his hands specifically. And they could never teach him how to use his hands right to be a competent enough pass blocker or run blocker, even for that matter. Uh, ben Jones got better in Tennessee. They really haven't, like, drafted anybody in, like, the fifth and sixth round, have them get better as well, as well either. You know, Newton blew out his leg. Jeff Allen got worse here. Really the only player that they drafted and had seen, like, any, get, having any success at all was Greg Manx when he took over at center and is now, like, a rotational guard. And so I think there's just, like, a lack of ability, either the offensive line coach specifically or, you know, O'Brien or whatever. But this, all, this entire team, since O'Brien's been the head coach, has been you know, really unable to develop offensive linemen and make offensive linemen better when they come to Houston. And I think that's part of what's going on here as well, too. Mhm. Yeah, and that's a valid question. Is the job enough of an yeah, the job of an offensive corner, goodness, is to make his team better. Is there anybody that you can look at that has genuinely made strides under Bill O'Brien? You're talking about the offensive line. Let's talk about the entire offense. I mean, Deshaun Watson seems to be going backwards. Lamar Miller was much better. Will Fuller was drafted by the Texans. So, I mean, who can you look to and really overall in that offense and say, hey, he has turned this X into a star? You can look at Gary Kubiak and say, hey, look, he went out and got Chris Myers, Mike Brazell, Eric Winston he drafted, and these guys all became, and, and especially in Chris Myers' case, a far above average center, and the rest of them became above average at worst. Mm-hmm. So is there anybody you can look at and say, hey, Bill O'Brien's turned them better on the offensive side not only the line, the offensive side, and the answer is, I don't think so. Yeah, blue. And, <laughs> yeah, Josh. And even he, but he has looked better this year, though. I will say that. But whenever he, whenever yeah. Alfred Blue breaks an eight-yard run, it's because he's running forward and the make good blocks in front of him. It's be, it's not because, you know, of anything he does, but give him a hole and he can run north-south. You know, he's been better at that. Uh, and even Kubiak in the offensive line, like Bram Brooks got better. Derek Newton went from a six pick to a second contract guy who was getting, you know, $7 million a year before Von Miller uh, ruined his entire life. And so those are, you know, we're talking about here like five or six different offensive linemen that got better 
with Kubiak and that scheme and that style. And here in Houston with O'Brien, it's been the exact opposite. And uh, this was like the strength of the team in 2015, whenever they went to the playoffs with the Hoyer as well. It was the best part of the offense. And since then, it's become a general weakness. And, you know, it's just been, it's been frustrating as somebody who really enjoys watching offensive line play uh, to see what's happened with these guys who came in, were better before in the past and had potential and really haven't delivered or met those expectations at all whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add offensively at all? I really think, you know, we're down on the offensive line right now, but I just want to really, really stress is that if you look at the pure talent level, this offensive line is going to be far better six weeks from now than it is today. So if you want, you know, try to be optimistic from it. Yes, we're going to suck right now. Yes, they're still working together, figuring out how to work together type stuff. Just be optimistic. It's going to get much better. Yeah, and whenever I write this film room, I'm going to write about the Texans offense. I'll make sure to include that in there because I, I, I do agree with that. It's just one of the things that, like, that's the worst, That's one of the biggest things I've learned is don't have expectations or anything because if you have expectations, you're going to be let down. And because I wanted immediate gratification, I've been uh, supremely let down about the offensive line so far. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess going to the defense, the defense has been better than the offense. But it's been okay. And if you say it's been anything better than mediocre, you're either wrong, which is fine, you know, or you're a liar, which isn't fine. So my first question about the defense, BFD, is the pass rush. I thought if it was healthy, we're looking at, you know, top 10 minimum pass rush, maybe a top five pass rush. And so far this year against Gabbert and then against Brady the week before, on the outside and inside, they're not really getting a rush doll whatsoever. So what are you seeing with the pass rush right now? I think the biggest problem right now is that, and and uh, it's really funny how Ron kind of was a step ahead of you and posted the Whitney Merciless missing milk carton thing, JPEG yeah, yeah. and Thread. Merciless has just been AWOL. I mean, I don't know what else you can say about him. He's just not even out there, it seems like. Um, and Clowney, you know, was hurt on Sunday. So one thing I don't know, did he – come out of the game? Was he in the game, started, and came out? Uh, I think I think he played the entire game. I know that they had Scarlett come in here and there, and that was the only time I ever questioned what was up with Merciless. I saw Brent Scarlett playing. I was like, why the hell is he you know, in this game at all? What's uh, I'm at Clowney. I'm at Clowney. Oh, Clowney? Clowney didn't play at all. Okay, okay. So he was out from the beginning. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was on the road when all that was going on, so my apologies for not knowing that, but so Clowney missed yet another game. And so when you talk about the Texans pass rush is basically Clowney, Watt, Merciless. And at least we can, we can say E.G. Ofer is in there now. He, he looked you know, good in his limited snaps on Sunday. If you don't have Merciless and you don't have Clowney, that leaves it all up to J.J. Watt. And you can chip them. You can put two guys on them because almost nobody else on that defense is going to get to the quarterback. So that's what happened on Sunday. Watt looked really good against the Patriots, but – Cloudy and Merciless, not so much. So mm-hmm. we we don't have a whole lot of weapons, Matt, to get to the quarterback. Yeah, and in the New England game, it, Mer- Merciless didn't do anything, Clowney didn't do anything, and the pass rush was Watt getting close to Brady, and the Texans are never going to beat the Patriots, and J.J. Watt's never going to sack Tom Brady. Those are just kind of facts that we have to live with. 
But then last week, their pass rush was a sack from Justin Reed on a killer blitz. And I see him blitz more often. That was, you know, awesome how fast he got off the line. And really uh, took down Gabbert. And then Edgy Ofer had an awesome inside-out move, which he had in college, which he had all preseason as well, too. But Watt couldn't get anything going in the pass rush. And they really got stifled in the center. I know last year was partly, you know, Gabbert and the Times offense scheme to get the ball up super quickly without both their tackles and that sort of thing. But you'd still expect for, you know, Watt to get something up the middle. Ben Jones and Josh Klein and Quinn Spain are all good players, but they're not talking about all pros here. We're not talking about rushing against Andrew Norwell or Brandon Brooks or Marshall Yander or type of guy like that. These are, you know, pretty good players, and I was expecting for them to get some interior rush. And they weren't even able to do that whatsoever at all, too. The, you know, the thing I want to see moving forward is I would like to see Clowney play defensive end again. I think he was too good defensive end last year, moved outside. He's also closer to the quarterback in that way. And he's also has more of an effect on the run game and can chase from the backside easier. And I want to see Edgy Ofer just start outside linebacker and get, um, and get your you know, best seven players on the field as quickly as possible. And I think that would be one thing they can do to make this team better as well. So you have Swiss, Edgy O from the outside, Clown defensive end, and then you're stopped trying to make uh, Christian Covington or Angel Blackson or Brand Dunn try to happen. Because fine rotational players, but you're not going to get that sort of impact play from either of those guys. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. Is it, it, it doesn't it feel like we're not putting our best defensive player out there? It, you know, Christian Covington is fine. Blackman's fine. All these guys are fine, but wouldn't you rather have Clowney in EGO4 rather than Christian Covington and Clowney? Yeah, for sure. And I also think Clowney's just a better defensive than the outside linebacker. I think every single time they try to play him outside linebacker, that's more of like a an ideal. It's more that you want to have you know him play there to kind of counterbalance ball on the opposite side, edge strength to that side of the defense. But it just hasn't worked out as well as it works in a defensive end. And he was what like the best defensive in uh, the best defensive in stopping the run last year, and he was you know a top ten pass rusher at that position. And now you're making him play this hand set because in, it's what you I guess want. I don't know how to describe it entirely. I just don't really understand that disconnect there. Though he's better defensive and just leave him there. Well, and there's a couple other things that go with that, right? If you leave him at linebacker, then he's you almost force him occasionally to go into coverage. Clowney coverage is just mm-hmm. stupid. I mean, let him do yeah. what he does best, and that's beast on quarterback. So that's stupid, number one. It, and then um, I had something else to go with it. So, well, you're wasting his talent there, but, again, Christian Covington, Jadavion Clowney. Okay, these don't seem like really tough decisions from my perspective because you're not going to lose anything as far as him stopping the run, but you're going to gain a lot by what he can do to get to the quarterback. And then if, if Merciless isn't doing anything on the other side, you have to get somebody else who can get to the quarterback. And that answer is not Brendan Scarlett. Brendan Scarlett is not a good football player. I don't know how long it's going to take for people to discover that Brendan Scarlett is replacement level at best. Dylan Cole has looked decent at times this year, but I would far rather have EGO4 out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think Clowney also, like, playing defensive in the run game too, I think one of the things that you add for that is to build on the backside. So if you're playing outside linebacker in a 3-4 and you're on the backside of the play, you're just kind of sitting and, and keeping contained back there, making sure there's not a cutback or a reverse or a quarterback keeper coming that way. And then Sevy's playing defensive end. He's able to chase backside 
make plays happen from the backside. He's closer to the ball all the time, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, even Cole playing outside linebacker, I think, would be better. And I think the choice they're trying to make isn't really Clowney or Covington. It's edgy Ofer Covington or edgy Ofer instead of Brandine or, you know, Dylan Cole instead of Covington, that sort of thing. I think even that, when you look at it from, like, that perspective, it still is kind of a no-brainer answer that you'd rather have those guys on the field than somebody who's pretty okay, you know? Yeah, and one more thing. I don't know if I, I've been kind of monitoring it this year. It's always been one of my pet peeves, but when we're in sub-packages, it looks like J.J. Watt is still lining up outside rather than inside. And to me, once again, that's just kind of a waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so as well, too. And I I think also with, like, he looks he looks like the same, like, skill-wise and technique-wise, but he's just not getting there. And I think that's where age and the injuries kind of happen, where before he would get around the tackle really fast, plant, and then immediately find the quarterback of the ball carrier, make those plays in the backfield. And now this year I'm seeing a lot of diving and almost getting there and close to getting there. These are plays they used to make before that he's not making anymore. I think the best way to help him is to keep him inside as often as possible and make his path as short as possible to those players because he can still fight double teams and get around these blocks, but he just doesn't have the, the closing speed they used to have to actually get there and finish plays off. Yeah. So I guess going back to, I guess, the Titans game specifically, I think the – I know a lot of it has been said about, like, the, the run defense numbers. So, for example, you know, the Texans gave less than three yards of carry and that sort of thing. Uh, whenever they had to make plays against Tennessee, they really failed to. Uh, you saw they, they had the game tied and they gave up six points – or they were up by three. I don't know <laughs> exactly how, how the math works out. But they gave up two field goals in the fourth quarter. And the reason why they gave two field goals were they failed to stop the run. I thought this run defense would be like completely impossible to run against. But the Titans were able to run the ball up the middle, you know, pretty well to one get the lead and then two kind of steal with that five minute drive. They gave Watts only a minute left and zero timeouts to try to come back and tie it. Uh, so did you see anything Tennessee did specifically in this one to be able to run the ball up the middle? Are you, you know, concerned that about this run defense even at all? So I went back and looked because I, I kind of did not remember it the same way you did. So the the series was Deion Lewis had a 13-yard gain to the left, uh, one-yard gain by Lewis, Corey Davis, 13-yard pass, Derrick Henry, eight-yard gain. So they're at our 48 at that point. One-yard gain for Garrett or for Derrick Henry, one-yard gain for Blaine Gabbard, three-yard gain for Deion Lewis, five-yard penalty, Corey Davis for 18 yards, Derrick Henry for two yards. We committed a penalty, Derrick Henry for two yards, and then uh, Reed shut down Deion Lewis on fourth down, or to to make it fourth down and kick the ball. So it's they got the ball down the field, but a lot of the damage was Deion Lewis's first run and 30 plus yards from Corey Davis. So they were able to do it, but I think they were more much more successful through the air especially, you know, we forced a fumble from Davis, right, that we didn't recover. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I do think they were – I think so, yeah. It was amazing. And he came all the way back 20 yards down the field to make that play. So uh, I do think it was more the passing and less the runs because we, we pretty much shut them down during that series as well, except for Deion Lewis's first 13-yard run. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean I- – 
Yeah, I, I guess I, I understand what you're saying. It's kind of one of those things where whenever you look at the numbers, it's different than how you remember it. I just felt that they moved the ball pretty well up the middle. And I think they did a pretty good job with their pools and that same sort of meth mouth stuff where even though it's no longer there, Malarkey's not there, I think they do a good job still with pooling and then cutting back and allowing the aggressiveness of defenders to come up field and uh, knock him away. I know they did a really good job with Watt by cutting him. And they did a good job of letting him come up the field and pulling and kind of ear holding him a little bit as well too. Um, yeah, but I and also you're talking about Corey Davis as well with this pass defense. Like it's gonna be up to the pass rush to be able to stop uh, defenses. The cornerback play really isn't there, and Davis just ran like a lot of really simple crossing routes and slant routes to get open. Uh, and so I know we were super excited about Cream Jackson moving to safety. He's having to play cornerback now because of the Kevin Johnson concussion. Uh, what do you think about him at cornerback this year? And you already missed watching him play safety. I already missed watching him play safety. That's all there is to it. It's Kareem Jackson. <laughs> we're, we're talking, he would have been one of the best safeties in the league. He was already looking great back there. Yeah, I had the Giants sad. Yeah. Uh, I also love, man, I love watching Kareem Jackson tackle too. It's like my favorite, it was one of my favorite things about being a Texans fan. And I, that, do you see that? You remember that Corey Davis gave Jackson? That was one of the most like obscene things I've ever seen. I've never seen Jackson get just like thrown out of a car like that before. I, I missed part of that question. I'm sorry. I said, do you remember uh, Corey Davis stiff arming Jackson and just completely oh, just tossing him to the ground? That was just amazing. <sighs> That that was somebody else did that over the weekend too, and I remember the, the replay that I did in my head was, oh, that was just like Cream Jackson getting faced. Yeah, yeah that was sad. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and I, I really miss Cream Jackson winning safety. And it's one of those things that only, that pretty much became a meme as a Texans fan. It's kind of that like Lestar Gene looks great in preseason sort of thing that Cream Jackson should play safety. The difference is that this thing that should happen probably like three years ago, and like we all saw it, we all knew it'd be a good idea, good idea. And now that it finally happens, they've been taken away from us, which is just like the most one of the best metaphors for life uh, I think I've ever seen before. Yeah. Yep. Now, like I, I know we talked a lot about this defense and the passer specifically, and you know, potentially putting Clowney back at defensive end. Uh, do you see anything else that Cornell can do to make this defense better? Because it's been good, like you know, it's been you know, mediocre, but I think there's a potential for it to be a lot better. Uh, what do you think Cornell can do on his end to make the defense better? I think what he could do is he could go down to Jacksonville and kidnap AJ Bouye or Jalen Ramsey, <laughs> and then like bring them back to <laughs> bring them back to Houston and make them go out and play for us. I think that'd be the first best thing he could do. What I'm not seeing this year is I'm not seeing, and I got to admit that that the game on Sunday I was at my dad's house. It was his birthday and. And so I was a little bit distracted, not watching the game with my normal intensity, and I have not rewatched it because, Jesus, I really don't want to watch Blaine Gabbert play quarterback again. But what I'm not seeing is, do you remember those Halcyon days back in 2016, Matt, when we were doing those A-gap blitzes with Bernardrick McKinney, and he was being so effective on those blitzes? I'm not really seeing that. And so I would like to see a little bit more imagination from, from Romeo Cornell, Matt. Yeah. I, that's one thing I think he can do as well is like just be able to create more fresh blitzing. I know he doesn't want to blitz because of the stuff that you have behind him, but even you know lying merciless up over the center, uh, blitzing McKinney, or you know or like using him in TE stunts as well. 
I think Cunningham could be a good blitzer as well too because of his closing speed. I think that's one thing that he can do better is uh, is be able to blitz. I think he's been good with the past coverage calls. Uh, you know, we're not seeing the same bloom coverage as we saw last year. Mike Rabel, he's not trying to play a lot of zone. He's having to play you know man and soft man depending on the matchups. I think he's done a good job in that way, making a do with what he has at cornerback play. Because they haven't really gotten super burned you know, by wide receivers. And we're talking about a team with one that Blaine Gabber and two, the Patriots don't have a ton of wide receiver talent, but uh, they still have gone by, you know, pretty well in that regard as well. Hey, they got Cornell the, Patterson. What else do they need? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the last thing I want to say about defense is I don't like watching Tyron Matthew play football. And it's that same sort of like Kevin Johnson thing where he would wave his arms around. And it's the same Brandon Harris no fly zone thing where you give up a big play and you're, or you knock the pass down and you're waving your arms around celebrating and there's a yellow flag there. Or you're jawing the defender's or the receiver's face and then you miss a tackle immediately the next play. Or you get, you know, get trust and get pushed. And Matthew does the exact same thing where he's constantly jawing, constantly doing this and that, and then misses tackles. The only play he's made was based off of a, a tip pass at the line of scrimmage that kind of fell to him whenever he was beat by the running back on that play. Anyways, and I really just don't – like, I, I really have enjoyed watching Matthew at all on this team. I don't like him on the internet as well, too. Like, I get so mad of him on Twitter. I get, like, a, a prayers up or bless up or I love adversity sort of tweet from him. And it's just, like, the lamest thing ever. And it's so empty. And it's a, it's like – the Texans run fakes this year. That's how I feel about Tyron Matthew. <laughs> yeah. I, I, for me, the jury is still out on Matthew. He, he looked very good the first game. He did not look so great last game, but he didn't look bad. I, I think there's going to be a point in time where his lack of long speed is going to get really exposed and it's going to make us all very sad. But, look, he, he started out well. He started out better than he played in all of 2017 and definitely all of 2016. So, Reasons to be optimistic, but again, I go back to there's a reason that the dude got a one-year contract from us and could not find something better than the open market. So there you go. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, th- I I think he's played pretty fine. I was just like that Taylor tackle tackle was you know embarrassing on his end, but uh, I don't think he's played bad. I don't watch him play. It's more of like an aesthetic, like intrinsic, like how much do I think by watching this guy play football and it's been pretty much like absolutely zero. I just don't it's like the type of like foam machismo that I absolutely, you know, hate that he's kind of, he like epitomizes, you know. Awesome. I love it. Alright, so I got I think I got two I guess kind of legacy questions here now. Uh, I read a blog post by Sean Pentergrass who if you don't know is a Houston sports talk radio thing who sometimes uh, blogs at House of Houston and he named this the worst loss of the Bill O'Brien era. So, BFD, do you think Houston losing to Blaine Gabb or Mike Vrabel is the worst loss of the O'Brien era, or is there something else that, that's a bigger skin mark in your eyes? I tell you what, it's up there. It's way up there as far as that goes. Um, I, I will respectfully – I like uh, Sean Pendergrass, so I will respectfully disagree – and I will say it was the almost back-to-back games getting pantsed by the Atlanta Falcons and Miami Dolphins that we were blown out of the game by the first quarter. Those two still really stand out to me. Mm-hmm. We should have won on Sunday. And Bill O'Brien did a terrible job as a head coach. And I'm beating that dead horse once again. But 
the games against the Falcons and the Dolphins in was that 2015, where yeah, we were 15. blown away. Yeah, blown away. Never had a chance. That was flat. That was embarrassing as well. And to me, that's a little bit worse. Yeah, I agree. I think that Dolphins one. Yeah, I think the Dolphins one was worse because that Dolphins team was one bad, and uh, I can see his face. What was his name? Dan. Who was their head coach that just came in that oh, first God. game? He was their tight end oh, coach. God. The tight end coach, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so he came. So he came in. It was his first game, and Ryan Tannehill did the Michael Jordan shrug in that game. And they lost, I think it was like 41-7. And the other thing about that game, too, that was so disgusting was rather than just like sit his stars and call it, O'Brien kept trying to score points to make the loss look worse, look better than it actually was. And it ended with Arian Foster tearing his Achilles and ending his entire career. And it gave them absolutely nothing as well, too. And so that one, the Dolphins one always stands out most to me. That one was just like so embarrassing and so like ruthless. Yeah, I, mean, I, I will never forget. I mean, that, that's part of it. I, I still have a grudge about that game and Arian Foster. I really do. I'm still really pissed off about that. It was stupid for him to be out there on the wet field in the fourth quarter down 34 points. Why was mm-hmm. he out there? And also the same thing happened in that Falcons game as well, too, where Cecil Schwartz took a concussion on a slant route into the end zone in the exact same situation where Houston scored like 21 points after being down 35 make it like a two touchdown game when it was an absolute, you know, uh, teeth kicker. Yeah. I, I was also, now the other game that always comes to mind too, uh, when it comes to complete embarrassments was the divisional round against new England. Oh, got that pick when they gave up the kickoff return touchdown, when he the field goal at the 20 yard line and Houston never got closer than that for the rest of the game. And just like how like limp, you know, the coaching decisions he made, and also, like, if, they, if Matt Moore was the quarterback for Houston that year, they probably would have won that game. That's how good a defensive performance they had. And it all kind of, like, broke right for Houston to finally upset New England because of the quarterback and uh, those sort of, like, you know, super conservative playing on the road. That one really hurts as well, too, because I think that's the only game Houston played they could have actually beat New England since, you know, they actually beat them in 2009. Well, okay, if we're going to play that game, then I think the most humiliating loss was the uh, playoff game against the Chiefs. Yeah, that was the most humiliating. Yeah. That one was kind of beautiful, though, because it was just like the culmination of all those dumb quarterback decisions and Brian thing he could win with no matter who was that quarterback. Yeah, I watched that game with no safeties needed, and we were in a restaurant. And we were just – there was a couple other tables of Texans fans, and he and I were laughing the entire game. And all the other Texans fans were, like, looking at us going, like, we're insane. It's like, no, we expected this. <laughs> we're going to have a good time with it. And so it, it was just, it was a comical – it was a hilarious game on every respect. And and fortunately, the other Texans fans there, you know, started to enjoy it in that shot and point sense as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen – or, like, I've, I've I haven't been mad about Texans loss since they lost to New England Monday Night Football when Dante Stallworth caught that like 75-yard touchdown pass. Like ever since then, I just like I find uh, find humor and beauty in the darkness, and it's always pretty funny. Uh, my my next legacy question for you, and then we'll talk about this Giants game briefly. On the fake punt touchdown, was that the worst play of the of the Bill O'Brien era? 
The only other one that comes to mind that was so embarrassing, well, the Jarvis Landry touchdown against the Miami Dolphins in 2015 also kind of jumps out because that was just pathetic on every level. There was, like, what, 15 missed tackles, and not even close missed tackles on that play. Yeah. The only other one that stands out is the Minnesota Vikings uh, punt return when Shane Leckler uh, kicked to George Shirell, and, like, there was nobody close to him. There was nobody within 20 yards of him the entire return because uh, Leckler kicked to the wrong side and nobody else was even close, and Shirell's made it easy. <laughs> so I think it's up there with those two, and but that is so egregious that you have to give it first place. Yeah. The, uh, the one yeah, on that- Sunday, the one on Sunday. Yeah, and the other thing I remember about that punch was they had Jay Prosh as the gunner on that play as well. Gunner! And, uh, <laughs> you know, like, if you want to do something really dumb, like, that's not covering the gunner. The only thing as dumb as that is putting Jay Prosh as a gunner. you got to put that five, five, three speed as the gunner. Oh, my God. So stupid. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and, like, wow. there's been... I, it's weird because like, I can pick out really dumb games, but sitting here and now I'm trying to think of really dumb plays. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, more difficult, but, and there's just been, been so much fun the last four years or so. And this is year five we watched the time play. And it's kind of like the, the anti-Kubiak, I guess, in a way. Yeah. You know, Kubiak, Kubiak had his issues. He was conservative as well. You're going to get the third and 10 draw. That he did such a better job getting his players in a position to succeed. And Bill O'Brien is just like, I'm going to stick to my plan. I don't care if I've got this 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 round hole. I'm going to take this octagonal peg and I'm going to shove, somehow shove it in there. And I just don't get it. Yeah. Okay, I was I'm done. The, the different. Well, I guess the biggest difference you know, briefly is that with Kubiak, the problem with those teams is they lost a bunch of close games and they had terrible defense. And he didn't coach the defense. And they added Phillips, and they had Watt, and the defense got better. And then they weren't even playing close games because they were just, you know, kicking teams in the head. And O'Brien is the opposite. The problem is the offense, which can, and the, his record is inflated by beating bad teams and winning a lot of close games. Now that he's not in close games, the division's better. We're seeing seasons like what's happening right now. And kind of probably last like, even when Watson was healthy, they were still only, they were still only a five-year team with him starting. And uh, who knows what would have happened now. Everybody got injured, too. But I think that's the difference. Is like with Kubiak, there is potential. And with O'Brien, it always kind of feels like they're you're maxing out the team based off what he can get out of them as a head coach. Right. Yeah. yeah it, you know, we talked about this kind of ad nauseum on the show, but there is one coach who is good at, at, at his job, and there's one coach who just flat out is not. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's a – I know this is kind of happens sometimes throughout the year where Houston's really bad and uh, we kind of have these you know, long soapbox discussions talking about why everything's bad. And, like, there's still some good things. You know, Will Fuller was really good. Uh, watching them gang tackle Derek Hammer was a lot of fun uh, and those are things. And we'll have more enjoyable stuff as, you know, the year goes on and team plays better. But this really isn't that time. And hopefully things come together really quickly because this week they play the New York Giants. And both teams right now are 0-2. Uh, if you go back to the 16-game schedule, teams that start off 0-2 make the playoffs only 11.1% of the time. Teams that start off 0-3 make the playoffs only 3.3% of the time. And all four of those teams all finished 9-7 and as well. So this is as 
this is a must-win game for both these teams if they want to make the playoffs. Um, so my next question for you is pretty simple. Do you think Eli Manning should retire? <laughs> I love this question. When I saw this question, you know, of course, Matt, like I always say that Matt does a great job prepping us for the show, and he's got these, these great questions. And should Eli Manning retire only if he wants to live? <laughs> uh, that that offensive line has not served him well in a very, very long time. And I, I don't know – I frankly don't know how he kind of does it year after year after year because he's he takes a lot of hits. He gets touched a lot, bad touching, mm-hmm. very bad touching. I just wanted to check real quickly. Uh, the Giants are dead last in run blocking and dead last in pass pro this year. And – the last team they play with the Dallas Cowboys and the Dallas Cowboys do not have the best defense that I've ever seen. So if that gives you some perspective about how bad that offensive line is, they are like, they make the Texans look like they all belong in Canton. So yeah, if he wants to live, yes. But I mean, what are your other choices going to be, you know, at this point in time? So he's got to go out there. He's got to play. He's got a game. There you go. I got nothing more. Yeah, and I also think part of that's like Pat Schumer, too, that's the offensive coordinator, is that he's going to run you know, deeper dropbacks and those sorts of things. And we have Eric Flowers at right tackle. You move in right tackle doesn't really matter when a player just doesn't have the mobility to play offensive tackle in the NFL. You make Solder, who's been, who's been called, I think, with three holding penalties, who is mediocre, wasn't worth the contract he got, and doesn't extinguish blocks at all. And so whenever you have these longer dropbacks, like Nate Solder can't block long enough and never ends a block immediately to be able to do that. And on the interior, like Hernandez has talent as a guard, but he just is missing blo- – he's missing blitzes, like super easy decisions, and, and they're giving up a lot of leakage from uh, that. And the Cowboys in that, in that Sunday night football game, I can't remember how many times they sacked Eli, but they blitzed really well, and they had a lot of free and open rushers in that game. And so I – you know, with Manning in this situation with these deep dropbacks and bad offensive line, I feel bad for him watching him play. I think it's a terrible you know, mesh of, of scheme and then fit and talent. And uh, it's kind of funny, too, because they had a similar offensive situation last year in Minnesota where you have, um, you know, an offensive line is worse in New York, but I think the skill players are comparable. And the difference is Keenum can move a little bit. Manning can't move at all. And he's just been getting, you know, shellacked out there. And it's sad. Like, I, I feel bad for Eli Manning with his face all scrunched up and having no idea what's going on. And it looks like he's in the trench somewhere. Yeah, and, and John Halapaya, the, the center, is not good. And Patrick Omema, I think that's how you pronounce his name, is one of the worst guards in the league. I mean, there's, there's nothing that you look at on that offensive line and say, hey, these are above-average guys. Every one of them is bad, except for Hernandez has the skills, but still learning. So, yeah, it's it's ugly. And, and the number two quarterback, by the way, is one of the guys who I think was was sorely over uh, underrated. I'm sorry, coming out of the draft of Kyle Aletta. I think the guy's a legit pro style quarterback who could who should be given a shot at some point this season over Eli Manning. He, he's no Nathan Peterman or oh, who they, Webb Davis. Webb Davis. That's who they had last year. Remember, Webb Davis went in, started that game, and that's when the coach lost their job. So Aletta actually. They benched him for Geno Smith, and that's in his streak. And then they fired McAdoo after that. <laughs> so there you go. So he's no Webb Davis, but Laletta should be able to go out. And he's got arm talent. I think he's, he should be given a shot at some point this season. 
Yeah, There's no reason he, to run Eli Manning out. Yeah, and I know Lauletta had a good preseason as well, too, even though that isn't meaningful. Um, yeah, it's game specifically, I, you know, Houston's pass rush needs to be better. If it's not better, Beckham's going to get open. Sterling Shepard's going to get open. Evan Ingram is going to get open. But they're going to have to get to Manning. I want to see Cornell blitz a lot. I want to see Matthew blitz. I want to see Reed blitz. I want to see uh, Krim Jackson blitz. I want to see a lot of defensive blitzes. And also, like, Clowney and Merciless have to have a great game against these tackles. This is an optimal opportunity. Uh, Watt finally needs to get sacked. I think this is an opportunity for that as well, too. And, uh, like, if the pass rush is bad or, like, not even, like, if they don't have four or five sacks this game, I'm going to be super concerned for the defensive side for the rest of the year, too, because this is the type of game where like, they really need to come out and get after the, get after the passer. And uh, if they don't, like, I'll be, I'll be worried, you know, for the rest of the year. Well, this is the game. So we've seen what the Patriots did to us, what the Titans did to us, which is basically we're not going to really let the Texans pass rush get to the quarterback and create that havoc, right? We're going to get the ball out quickly. We're going to put the pressure on the cornerbacks who have who shouldn't be playing cornerback anymore. We're going to put the pressure on them. We're going to get the ball out quickly with Beckham, with Shepard, with Ingram. You can do those things with them. So if they can adjust that offense to get the ball out of Eli Manning's hands quickly to negate – our pass rush, it could be a really big battle. I just don't think that adjustment's going to happen because that's not what he does. Yeah, I just don't think it's what the the Giants' offensive scheme is as well too. Like I know they they got the ball out quickly to Beckham a bunch and Jackson against the Jags and run a lot of crossing routes and stuff. But uh, I think that's kind of the one thing they can do if they're going to try get the ball out quickly. Overall, they're more of a, a deeper passing game. And then their passing offense has been a lot of their quick passes to Beckham, or it's a Manning holds on the ball, can't find anybody open, and dumps it off to Saquon Barkley. At one point in that game against the Cowboys, Barkley had 32 receiving yards and eight catches. And so it's just like, the man doesn't find somebody in four <laughs> seconds. He just throws off him. Um, so what have you thought about Barkley so far watching him play these first two games? And, and just saying, what is the uh, – uh... I don't know if it's not necessarily his favorite. What is Beckham's favorite route? Slant. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Uh, Saquon Barkley, I just don't – I have said for years there is no way I would take a running back in the first round. I think Saquon Barkley broke that part of me. I think he is so good. He is so difficult to bring down multiple tacklers you need. He can run routes. He can pick up the blitz. He's a fantastic runner. And he's, like, fast as all hell. He is probably my favorite running back to come out of college I, I, since LT. So he's really a lot of fun. I hate it. I did not like Adrian Peterson. I did, well, because Adrian Peterson to me was just kind of a running back, and the guy didn't catch the oh, ball in the backfield until this year. Yeah, yeah. What you mean? Yeah, I think the the key with Washington Barkley is he always makes the first tackle miss. Like, it's absurd. It doesn't matter where he catches the ball, where he's at. He makes that first guy miss. The key for Houston this game is going to be making sure you make that second tackle. Because if you don't make that second tackle, he's going to break it wide. He's going to run for 40 yards. He's going to run for 60 yards. Uh, Jackson will do a good job containing him. And the one time they did when he broke that 65-yard touchdown run was because he broke the second tackle. And so that's uh, – I think they – one of the big keys for Houston's defense in this game, too, 
is they're going to, you're not going to tackle Barkley every time you're going to miss him, but you have to make sure that the second guy brings him down or you swarm at the second level, because if you don't, that's when you're going to give up the big plays and you can't give up the big plays, but you can't fall behind because we'll kind of see more of a game like we saw with Tennessee the week before as well, too. Yeah. And the one thing about Barkley that I really enjoy, it's when he was in the playing the bowl last year at Penn State, he did not have to play that bowl game. It was kind of a meaningless bowl game, and the dude played. And that, to me, is just kind of the measure of a man. So he's just so much fun to watch. I just, mm-hmm. man, I yes, I'm totally man-crushing. I get it. <laughs> I get it. So I'm there. Uh, so on the Giants' defense, they're super weird because they were, I think they finished number two in DBA in 2016. They lost that playoff game to Green Bay. Last year, they completely fell off. Probably of injuries, I think probably because of regression as well, too, and the whole plexiglass sort of thing. And now this year, you know, they've been, they gave up 20 points to Jacksonville. They gave up a big touchdown to Dallas. And they gave up, I think, 23 to Dallas as well, too. Uh, what do you think Houston can do to attack the Giants defense specifically? Well, what the Giants don't – I don't think they're going to be able to do well this year is get to the quarterback. Um, you have Harrison, Snacks Harrison. Everybody loves to call him Snacks, so I'll do it too. And you have Dalvin Tomlinson, both guys who are really, really great at stopping the run. But they're both interior guys. Alec Ogletree is a fast um, outside linebacker. I don't think Vernon plays this week. Yeah. So you have Janoris Jenkins on one side as a cornerback. You have Eli Apple. You don't. You have some decent talent in the secondary. I think you mentioned it in the in the write up you did. You go after those weak linebackers. You go after the weak edge guys. And I think if there's ever a day that you'd like to really see the the Texans attack the edge with Lamar Miller and his speed, is you see it on Sundays as they really get the ball outside. Got to run away from Harrison. It's not like he's JJ Watt. JJ Watt, you kind of want to run the ball at him to negate him. Harrison, Tomlinson, they don't have that kind of lateral speed. Run the ball away from them. Get the ball away from them. Mm-hmm. Make sure you get Ogletree tagged, and I think you can do some damage. So it's from that perspective, I hope that's how we match up against Matt. Yeah, yeah, I agree, too. I think Watson can have a huge game on the ground against the Giants. When you talk about getting on the edge, uh, you know, zone read, that's a perfect play. Get somebody on the edge. I think they can do that a lot. Dak Prescott had a great game on the ground against the Giants. Blake Boros had a great game running the ball against the Giants, too. And then whenever you throw in the outside zone plays, like you mentioned, Lamar Miller, I think some zone reads as well, too, Lamar Miller. I think that's the way they have to attack the Giants' defense in the run game. They try to run over the tackles, run over the edges. Uh, Elliott had a really good game as well, too, running the ball over the tackles compared to running up the middle as well. And the other thing, too, about the Giants – He's, you know, Janoris Jenkins is their best cornerback, but he's a really boomer bust cornerback as well, too. Uh, Tavon Austin beat him for, you know, a 70-yard touchdown just by beating him off the line of scrimmage. What, whenever I saw that play, I just imagined Will Fuller doing the same thing, too. So I think in the passing game, they can take shots deep down the sideline whenever they have one-on-one coverage, and they need to whenever those opportunities come as well. I think it's also a great game for Hopkins whenever he's matched against Jenkins just because of his size and uh, Watson's ball placement. So, I hope that the conservative quick passing kind of goes away. I hope it's a lot more like running to set up the pass in a way, and then they take those shots to go deep down the field, down the sidelines, and those are available as well too. But uh, I really think the key for Houston's offense, though, to consistently pick up first downs is just by making sure to run at the tackles and outside of that. 
Yeah. Um, if you can get, I mean, Landon Collins really might be the best cover guy that they have. Their safety. Mm-hmm. And so if you can get him down, get him sneaking down, get that run going with Lamar Miller, you can hit Will Fuller deep. That it seems like it's kind of the perfect game plan for that. That's that's what I would do. Suck him in, throw him out. Yeah, and also like just throw from throw away from double coverage to Deshaun Watson. That's a good oh, idea. Please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so who do you have winning on Sunday? What's your prediction? I do have the Texans winning. I have them winning 27 to 13. Uh, I think that this is a game that's got the potential to be very lopsided, kind of like a regression to the mean kind of game. So it's the sort of thing that could go 37 to three. And I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, This Texans offense is better than they have shown. The Texans defense is better than they've shown. And the giants have a lot of holes and this is not a good matchup for them against us. So I'm going to go 27-13, but it could be ugly. Yeah. I'm a, I think it's going to be a closer game. I'm going to Houston 23-20. I'm not, like, there to expect a blowout at all, though. And, I I mean, I love pass rush is great. If Houston's pass rush is great, I think they'll win this game, you know, pretty well. But uh, that's really kind of be the key there. Main reason I'm also saying 23-20 is that then these teams have talent, but they're just lacking in certain areas, whether it's coaching or offensive line, the Giants. And then also, like, there's always a chance for Beckham just having extreme games against Jonathan Joseph and Kareem Jackson and, you know, Aaron Colvin as well. Yeah, and that's the most terrifying thing about this matchup, isn't it, is that Odell Beckham against our entire secondary, is, or Ingram even, is pretty yeah. terrifying. Yeah, yeah, the skill players have. And also it's, it's at home, too, which I think is going to be, you know, helpful for Houston as well. Um so last thing before we finish the show, we had some listener questions from our one and only favorite uh, Greek road tripper, uh, Peru Texan. So the first one I have here, BFD, is which Texans player would most resemble a character from the popular popular video game Super Mario Kart? <laughs> Just don't. I know what you're doing, UT. I know what you're doing. I'm not freaking answering this question. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really, I really wish somebody on the team had like a really good mustache. I should make this a lot easier. Um, I, I, I think JJ Watt looks kind of like Toad. Uh, it's completely a, a race thing, is what I'm saying. That, but other than that, I would need more time to think about it. Maybe like a, I don't know. I don't know enough about Mario Kart because I could say like who's the most mediocre one of a bunch, and I could just say like yeah, that's kind of like Nick Martin. But I, I don't play video games anymore. I know what you're doing, so the, UT. Stop. <laughs> the next question I have here is from UT as well. And he said, which material would be best to use to construct a statue of Bill O'Brien's chin dimple? I'm thinking alabaster, while others would not start saying Italian bronze. What are your thoughts? Relately, is Bill O'Brien the platonic ideal of a head coach or just the absolute, absolutely greatest head coach of our generation? So I'm going to go with uh... – What's that called? Hold on. I have to Google for a moment. There we go. I'm going to go with Pills of Viagra. It's how they, <laughs> of what should be used to construct that statue of Bill O'Brien. And um, he is the platonic ideal of a head coach. 
meaning that, and I'm going to read too much into this, meaning that I wanted to just be his friend and I don't actually want him to be a head coach. <laughs> I like that. That's nice. Um, I, w- I would say Clay. You can make like a, a pretty good pinch pot, I think, to resemble uh, Bill O'Brien's chin dimple would be the way I would do it. Just a nice a nice little pinch pot, throw that thing in the kiln, you know, paint it orange, I know. And uh, that'd be good. That'd be good. And it can be very, like, it's very, like, avant-garde as well, too. And you put in, like, in the MoMA or one of those postmodern art pieces that are just, you know, really stupid. And his last question was involving battle bots. He said, which uh, battle bots is Sean Watson most like? I don't know anything about battle bots. Do you? Oh, God, it's been too many years. I know they're on again, but, man, I haven't watched that stuff since I was in Colorado in 1997, UT. Back when it was on Comedy Central as well, too. Really? Yeah, Battlebots used to be on Comedy Central. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I remember that. All right, well, that's all we have for tonight. Thank you, everybody, for listening live. Thank you for being on tonight, B.D. Uh, it, was, it was fun. It was fun to talk football with you as well, too. I'm slowly, I'm slowly caught up on – I'm caught up on the Texans. I have to catch up on the rest of the league. I'll play this weekend and just, like, hunker down and watch a bunch of condensed games. But until then, you know, be, uh, not, not entirely there. But next week, hopefully, I can write that 10th like article and be entirely all in on football and stop thinking about, you know, God and the snow and the mountains and uh, just leaving this entire postmodern, you know, Filth of a world behind, but until then, we'll be on next week live at 7 p.m. Central. And my name is Matt Weston, and thank you for listening to All Red Radio, and thank you for being on tonight, BFD. Hey, it's a pleasure. This was fun. Thank you. Hell yeah. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>